Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. And happy Easter. happy Easter. He's risen. He risen oh, you got it all. You got it all. Good job. He practiced with him. He, he warmed it up. Oh, you know, that risen indeed piece is so important. Here's why. You strip everything else away. You boil Christianity down to its essence. What do you got? You've got he's risen. And he's risen indeed. Indeed. For the last six weeks, you've been digging into the writings of a man named Paul. And Paul was never at a loss for words. Those of you who know Paul, he, he has more books in the Bible than anybody else. He sometimes has these sentences, these one sentence that will go on and on and on and on. You think my sermons are long. Um, <laughs> when it comes to Paul, there was one time, and this is actually in the Bible, there was a time where a guy was sitting in the window and it says, as Paul was speaking and went, on and on and on, this guy falls asleep and falls out of the window and dies. And kids, there is a happy ending. There is a happy ending. Well, that's for another time, though, because this Easter Sunday, we're going to leave you hanging a little bit. We're going to look at the one thing out of all these words that Paul used, out of all these things that Paul said as he went on and on and on and on and on, of all these things where he wrote like 13 books of the Bible, of all the things he said, what did he say is of first importance? That's what we're going to look at today. What did Paul say is of first importance? And it's in that letter that we've been studying, that letter that we've been digging into, 1 Corinthians. If you have your Bible with you, please open with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 4. We want to let you know, too, if you didn't get a Bible in your Easter basket and you don't have one at home, we'd love to send you home with one free today. They're there in the back. Please take one as a gift to you. Here we go, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 4. Here's what Paul says is of first importance. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Out of all those words that Paul used, these are the ones he said are of first importance. Those Hebrew scriptures, which Paul had known and loved all his life, they were part of a story that was still unfolding. How great that chasm that lay between us, how high the mountain that no one could climb. Then, through the darkness, God's loving kindness tore through the shadows of our souls. The work is finished. The end is written. In Jesus Christ, we have a living hope. And all of that, as we just read, that, that piece is of first importance. It was according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures. And not only that, if those scriptures weren't enough, Paul goes on to say this, verses 5 through 9. Look at what we highlighted here. He appeared, he appeared, he appeared, he appeared. If the scriptures weren't enough, he appeared. He appeared to a man who denied him and others who ran away. He appeared to 500 people at once, some of whom may have shouted, Hosanna on Sunday, and crucify him on Friday. He appeared to his brothers James, who once thought Jesus needed a family intervention. He also appeared to Paul, who once persecuted the church of God. To those who doubted, to those who denied, even persecuted his followers, Jesus appeared, appeared, appeared. And he appeared after his death, we read. He appeared after his burial, we read. My brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you this Easter Sunday to take out your beautiful yellow Eastery inserts and write this down. 
We have a what hope? We have a living hope. That's what these scriptures testify to. We have a living hope. As I was preparing this message, I came across this interesting take on Christianity. Maybe some of you have heard this take before. Here's the quote. Christianity is the most materialistic of religions. That one caught me off guard. And I, as, I, as I got into what he meant, he, I've discovered his point is not. His point is not that Christianity teaches us to accumulate as much stuff as we can. That was the opposite example that Jesus said, isn't it? That is the ex- opposite of what he taught. He did not teach us about that. Here's the guy's point. The guy's point is that Christianity rests on real events. Christianity is materialistic. It rests It rises and falls on things that happened in history. It rises and falls to the witness of the world as to whether or not we materialize these things in our lives. The death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, they are a reality that changed everything for those who were there. And one of the reasons that Paul goes to the extra effort of making his case for a real bodily resurrection of Jesus is because he knew those Corinthians. He knew them. And he knew this was not going to be an easy sell. He knew that those Corinthians were so much like our day today. The concept of a physical embodied resurrection, that is the fodder of fables. That is not the kind of thing that a well-educated, status-conscious Corinthian would readily embrace. And so Paul doesn't stop with the scriptures. He doesn't stop with the he appeared, he appeared, he appeared, he appeared. He continues on after pointing out this was in in accordance with the scriptures. After pointing out that he appeared, 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 appeared. After doing that, Paul also appeals to reason. He says this in verses 12 through 19. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead... How can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ was raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in what? It is in vain. You're going to see that word in a little bit later. All right? So remember that. Our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they've perished. It's over. If in Christ we have hope for this life only, we are of all people most to be what? Pity. I watched a couple of Jesus shows this week. The History Channel had a series that was pretty good. It was pretty good. But there were a couple times where people in the series, I don't know how what they said got past the fact checkers. The further we get away from the first century, the more you're going to hear some things like you heard in that series, things like this about the resurrection. They say, well, what the Bible really means when it says that Jesus was raised is that his ideals continued on. That his ideals continued on. And let's just be honest, that is a lot more appealing to modern minds, isn't it? That was a lot more appealing to the Corinthians, for sure. But here's the problem. Here's why I don't think this got past, I don't know why this got past the fact checkers. The actual accounts coming out of the Bible, they're not saying that. They believe this happened. They believe it. 
The resurrection of an ideal was not their point at all. And I can picture them saying, you go ahead. You can call us liars. You can call the women who saw this liars, but don't misrepresent us. We are not testifying to an ideal. We are telling you, he was dead. He was buried. And we saw him. He asked for fish. We saw him. Amen. Got a lover of fish here in the front row. Right? We love it. I went back last night, you guys. I went back last night and I reread 1 Corinthians through this lens. Do that. Through this lens of this actually happened. And now all of a sudden it makes even more sense. More sense. It makes sense as Paul opens his book. He says, Christ, 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 nine times in nine verses. It makes sense that as he's rolling out this, this book, he says, why are you all arguing about all this stuff? This is about a resurrected Messiah. Why are you fighting over these little things? It's about Christ. It makes sense then why he said, are you single? Are you married? Are you divorced? Are you separated? Focus on Christ, whatever your state. Paul's passion wasn't directed to abstract ideals. Again, don't believe me. Look at how he writes. Look for yourself. Paul is writing as someone who encountered a resurrected Messiah. And when you encounter a resurrected Messiah, you really don't care if it's ham or egg bake for Easter, right? You just, this is amazing. And if we didn't need an exclamation point on this already, early this week, this is the first time in 11, 12 Easter's that we've had as a church, I felt compelled not just to send an email to our leadership to say, hey, would you pray for the service? For some reason, inside, something was saying, pray for the church around the world. I didn't even know this until the, after the first service when someone said, did you check the news feed? Did you hear what happened? As there was a coordinated attack on Easter Sunday as people were worshiping, 200 people dead, 450 injured. How in the world do you have living hope? When you see these things, if it's just an ideal, you don't have living hope. You switch to another ideal, right? They didn't switch to another ideal. Thrown in prison, their lives threatened. They could not be quiet about this. Parents, I almost said that word that about instead of being quiet, <laughs> You should be thankful, right? <laughs> I went to a funeral uh, in my hometown of Hastings a while back. The church had these built-in reminders of Jesus' suffering and death right into their building. In this sanctuary where we were gathering for this funeral, they had what's called the Stations of the Cross, which are beautiful. And it was all around the sanctuary. And then up in front, they had this bigger-than-life Jesus still on the cross. It was a Swedish Jesus, but you know. So they had this cross and it was still there. And so you had in this room at this funeral all of these very good Good Friday reminders. Brothers and sisters, if all we have is Good Friday, hop on another bandwagon, right? If all we have is Good Friday, that is not good news. Paul, he, he used this word, the gospel. We saw it as we were reading earlier, the gospel. The word gospel means good news. Of the 70 plus uses of that word in the New Testament, Paul uses it more than 60 of those times. This was good news. And this guy was as persecuted, as beat up as you're going to find. But it was 
good news. Why would anyone sign up for a life that is hard and then you die? He didn't do that. He was signing up for good news. That word gospel, that's what it means. The story of Jesus is good news because we have a living hope. And when that reality sinks in, a reality that the scriptures testify to, a reality that reliable witnesses testify to, if you really believe that, it changes everything. Amen. And I want to give you an example of a man whose life testified to this. This winter, we lost one of our members. And I asked Susan if I could share this with you. Several of us had the honor of walking with Scott Carlson through the final stages of his life. Scott and his family had every reason to be bitter when you look at the hand that he was dealt. Every reason to be bitter. Well, the last time I visited with Scott was at his house, you know, with Susan and with Jason, and he was lying on one of those hospital beds that they had brought. The doctors had sent him home. They said, there is no hope. They sent him home to die. And the last time I visited with Scott was at that house. He was lying, like I said, in that bed. His body was ravished with cancer. And as we're talking, Scott looked out the winter, out the window, and it was winter. It was still winter. You guys remember this winter we just had? <laughs> Scott looks out the window at this winter, and he said five words that stopped me in my tracks. I was taking notes. I go there to visit Scott, and I'm taking notes because of this testimony. Here's the five words. He said, I can feel the sun. It was winter, you guys. This is right when winter had us in its grip. Looking out that same window, snow was everywhere. You remember how deep that snow was? That snow was deep. Looking out that window, it had icicles that looked like we were looking out the mouth of a dragon. Do you remember those icicles that we had? And he's saying, I can feel the sun. Our weather apps kept telling us more snow is coming, more snow is coming, more and more and more. And with a voice that was strained from a bed that he would take his last breath on, Scott smiled as he said, I can feel the sun. I want to ask you to write something down, and I don't want you to believe this. That's the first time I think I ever said that. Some say winter is coming. Some say winter is coming. You may have heard that phrase recently in reference to certain TV series. I have my reasons for not watching Game of Thrones. We can talk about that later. What I want to focus on right now is that I have heard references to winter is coming. And it's my understanding that winter is coming is not a good thing. Not a good thing. Winter brings darkness. Winter brings fear. Winter brings death. And winter took its best shot at Scott. But Scott had living hope, living hope, and he could feel the sun. And as we planned for the funeral, more than anything else, Scott wanted us to share the good news, the good news. On this side of eternity, there are going to be some questions about pain and suffering that are going to go unanswered. The Bible testifies to that. 1 Corinthians testifies to that. Chapter 13, verse 12. For now I see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully. Even as I have been fully known, there will be times when we have to walk by faith and not by sight. We have to. Otherwise, when we get bombed on Sunday, why would we come back? The following week. 
if there's not living hope. Here's why Scott could walk by faith and not by sight. Here's why Paul could walk by faith and not by sight. Please write this one down because this is trustworthy and true. Some say winter is coming. We know that what? We know that spring is here. Spring is here. Can I get an amen to that? We have some spectacular days that we've experienced this spring, haven't we? This week, we had some spectacular days Tuesday was one of the first of those amazing days. And my daughter, after looking out those winter windows on Tuesday, she looked out the window and she says, I see people. (laughs) She even counted them. She says, I see seven people. She goes, no, wait, there's eight. There's eight people. Spring is here. And those of us who have had way too much winter, if you had way too much winter in your life, physically and spiritually, if you had too much winter, if so, say yes. I've had too much winter. People who have had way too much winter are stepping into the sun. And as followers of the resurrected Christ, we can feel the sun even in the darkest of moments. This is one of my commentaries that I've been looking at throughout this series. We've been trying to draw from the best of the best. And so we've been looking at all these commentaries. This commentary... This man's wife, he writes about this in this book. He writes about what drew his wife as an adult to Christianity. His wife was a nurse. Not in a cool helicopter like you, but his wife was a a nurse. What drew her to Christianity is how people face death differently. She said, I need to learn more about why it is that you can face death differently. When there was no hope, Jesus crossed that gap and said for once and for all, we are not alone in what we're going through. We have not been forsaken. There is hope even when all seems lost. This Easter Sunday, celebrate these words with me from 1 Corinthians, beginning with verse 50. I want to read these straight from the word. Verses 50 through 58. Here we go. So I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. The perishable puts on the imperishable, then the mortal puts on immortality. Then shall come to pass what the saying is as written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And listen to this. I said we come back to these words. Therefore, my beloved brothers, sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your what? Your labor is not in vain. Not in vain. My agape brothers and sisters, Paul says in the original Greek, Our labor, including that hard work of reconciliation, our labor is not in vain. God was at work even on our good Fridays. He's at work when all seems lost. God is at work. 
And we have no greater example of that than this, than when there came a morning that sealed the promise. A buried body began to breathe. And out of the silence, the roaring lion declared, even the grave has no claim on me. Even that which the enemy intends for evil, God can use for good. My beloved brothers and sisters, the scriptures testify to this. Reliable witnesses testify to this. And if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, one day your faith will vanish into sight. Hope will be emptied in delight. Let me read those words one more time. Let them sink in. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ, one day faith will vanish into sight. Hope will be emptied into light. Can you imagine a world where faith is not necessary? where hope is not necessary. This, my friends, will be the start of a spring with no winter. And don't just take my word for it. On Friday, something happened that we want to show you. This happened on Friday. Throughout this message, I've embedded some lyrics from one of my new favorite songs, that Living Hope song we sang, one of my new favorites. But I'm going to defer my final minute of this Easter message to some brave young adults in Aleppo, Syria one of the most dangerous places on the planet. Listen as they proclaim the reality through song, as they proclaim the reality of Easter, using the words to a song that Christians have been singing all over the world for about 300 years. And embedded in that 300-year-old song is a word that is a word of praise that has been in countless songs. That word is Alleluia. It means praise the Lord. Listen and watch as these brave young adults are praising the risen Lord in Aleppo, Syria. 